Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was that was incredible. That was great worship. That was great prayer. And I'll come back to these guys in a moment. But uh, lost all my thoughts. But thank you, Tim. Um, you know, I sound. I feel like I'm a bit of a broken record because the message or the thoughts or whenever I'm, you know, with people is. Ideas that I've been talking about last week and previous weeks um, keep coming up. And I'm kind of been really asking the Lord, are you in this? How do you want to address this? How do we present this? And even just this week, I'm, you know, I've been boring the, some of the guys I'm with about some of these freaky coincidences that keep happening. But Chris and I were at a, a wedding Yesterday, um, at the Garrison Church, miles from anywhere, a friend of a daughter of ours um, was getting married who, because of our daughter's love for her, we'd been kind of connected with her. And it was, you know, the Garrison Church is something else. It's stunning and we were kind of, you know, carried away with all these people who we didn't really know. But there right in front of us was this girl that I kept just sort of noticing and she had, a, she had an unusual face, and I led over to Chris and I said, I think that's Penny Goodburn, who we haven't seen in 35 years. And Chris says, no, no, no. And Chris doesn't even know who Penny Goodburn was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I just kind of ignored it. But then just before the service started, her husband came and sat next to her, and his name was Brad, Brad Dalton. And... I said to Chris, it's them, it's Brad and Penny, because Brad married Penny 30 years ago. And, and my heart just sort of leapt for these guys, mainly because when they were in high school, Chris and I led them to Christ. And Brad was a young high school guy who went into university and beyond who was very connected. I was very connected. We were very committed. Some would even say covenanted. We'll get back to that in a moment. And we journeyed for six or seven years and then, you know, he went off to New York and got married and we haven't seen them for 35 years. But I felt like the Lord was saying, here's a son and I'm blessing you with some of the sons that you've been engaged with. Now, I only had a small period and we had a wonderful time in the youth ministry that Chris and I were a part of for 10 years. You know, we just keep rediscovering these sons and daughters who have moved on in the faith. And I feel like the Lord is saying, yes, yes, this message is very important. This message of fathering a generation and mothering a generation is very important. And, you know, just even this, this afternoon at lunch, um, our... our I don't know what to call her, our son's mother-in-law. What's that? Fellow grandparent. We, we all had lunch together. Um, she was telling us how uh, Coach McCartney, who started the Promise Keepers, who, I don't know if you know the Promise Keepers, but it was a movement of fathers about 20 years ago. It exploded. It just went berserk in America. Hundreds of thousands of men would be gathering and working on, in that case, particularly their, their fathering and their commitments to their kids and their wives. And that came unstuck. I won't go there. But I heard just at lunch that John Eldridge and Coach McCartney are getting back together to restore this movement. And, and uh, Di is going to spend some time with John in a couple of months, so we'll hear her report when she gets back. But uh, everywhere I seem to turn, and of course I've got ears that are a little bit um, alerted to this, I keep hearing this message that effectively the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the sons and the hearts of the sons will be turned to the fathers, but particularly in the spiritual realm. Particularly the spiritual realm. So let me um, just recap. And I, and I must say as well that one of the other things which happened this week, just before I recap, is that during the week, Tim phoned me, left a message, and then... Um, Tim texted me, and 
the heart of the father on Tim just spoke so deeply into my heart and there were some things that were going on. And I said to Chris, that was just such a touch of God. It was a touch of a father. It was a touch of calling me out, calling me up, giving me great encouragement, giving me inspiration. And you know, I want to thank him for that. And, uh, but it was, again, another sign of the father's heart in tangible form manifesting in our midst. Okay, so I talked last week, probably far too long at the beginning, about this world that's being totally disrupted. Everything's upside down. Business is upside down. IT is upside down. Politics is totally upside down. And the church is being turned upside down. And that's a big discussion. It's a fun discussion. But the point I was wanting to make is if we don't have our basic principles in place, if we don't have our foundations in place, when this world gets turned upside down, so will we. And to a large extent, the institutional church is totally upside down and it's failing. But if we don't have our principles in place, and I don't know if any of you did maths or like maths, but one of the most helpful pieces I got out of maths was understand the basic principles and you can solve any equation. When you know the basic principles, um, then everything falls into place. If you learn things by rote and don't understand the basic principles, you come unstuck. And so my point was that in this period that is just unprecedented in human history with total disruption, disorientation, if we don't know our foundational principles and we're not building on them, the house will fall. So now, there, there, of course, there are many principles that we already have as foundational and I'm not at all wanting to um, disturb those. You know, God the creator, God our father, um, God the healer, Jesus' redemptive act in history, faith, justification by faith only, the work of the Holy Spirit. They're all, they're all second nature and there's a whole bunch of them that are part of our way of thinking. But this foundation of spiritually mothering and fathering, I believe, has been a lost foundation and it needs to come back in. Now, one of the problems talking to a crowd like this is that we're all in, you know, we're all in different places on the journey. We've got spiritual babes. We've got babes. Oh, I'm sorry. And then we've got... <laughs> we've got... Uh, <laughs> we've got young men, young women. We've got young parents in the faith. We've got, you know, Jeff, Adrian and Brian and I, the old grumpy men of the faith. And uh, there's a huge range. And, you know, some of us... Um, it's totally inappropriate to expect that, you know, we move into mothering and fathering. In other cases, it's totally overdue we move into mothering and fathering. And, you know, to, to a large extent, we all need mothering and fathering, a la my example of Tim, you know, 20 years younger, um, speaking into my life as a father. So... <laughs> <laughs> So I guess I want to sow this seed and it'll sit where it sits. But in our building our foundations and the way we look at our faith and the way we look at our way forward, there has to be an understanding and a beginning to be um, part of this multi-generational fathering and mothering of the next generation who can father and mother the next generation who can perpetuate that and that's why it was wonderful having Murphy and Nicola because there's a mother-daughter picture that again kind of confirms, I don't know how you guys get on, you might hate each other but <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you were here, that you were happy to be with your mum says a whole lot and I had a word of uh, Murphy, I knew there was something on your name, Murphy and I, it's the Celtic Irish spirit the wild heart of the Celts that is beautiful and affected the planet and out of Ireland came a move of God that was so profound. You're a very lucky lady, Nicola, to be um, with your mum. So, uh, yeah, flame that, flame that heart into flame. So, wherever you are, some need to be mother and father, some need to mother and father, some need to work out how to mother and father. 
And uh, how to be brothers together. And I used that example last time of Andy, my mate Andy, who said, as a physical father, it's got to stop here in my generation. I was not fathered. I was not mothered. My parents were missionaries. They were off in Japan. I was left alone, and I had no idea how to father. When I have my kids, I'm going to learn how to father them. I'm going to learn how to be with them, be connected. And um, he said, I'm going to make it stop here so they have a future where they can mother and father themselves. And I, I think I asked you, would you join me, not, so, not only in that mission, but the mission to make it stop here, this fatherless and motherless spiritual generation. Now, we looked at Genesis 1.28, which is quite revealing in this respect, and I hadn't really thought about it too much before, but right at the very beginning, at day one, so to speak, it was actually day six, wasn't it, when God made uh, man and woman, but at day one in the whole creation of the planet, God put this covenant relation, a mother and a father together, and it was their mission to be fruitful, multiply, and bring dominion and subdue the creation. And this was the foundational element of the future of the kingdom, the future of the way God would do things. He would do it through mothers and fathers in covenant relationship to be fruitful and multiply and bring dominion. Does it remind you of any scripture in the New Testament? No, no? Okay, well, this beautiful day, top of the class, which says, or paraphrase, go make disciples. Yeah, go make disciples, be fruitful and multiply disciples. Yeah, being an apprentice to Jesus. So be fruitful and multiply, giving them authority, just like you're giving it to Adam and Eve. And this is this nexus of going from the physical into the spiritual. You know, the Old Testament physical, New Testament spiritual. So, you know, this is our call as family, as spiritual family, spiritual mothers and fathers of sons and daughters, is to subdue, to bring dominion, to take responsibility for the creation, to multiply. So that was uh, part of what I said. We talked about developing this culture of covenant and promise where the concept of a mother and a father, husband and wife, is clothed in covenant. We were at this wedding yesterday, and it was sort of a very traditional Anglican-type wedding, but the amount of times that the word covenant was actually used, just, I just kept going, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that at this whole wedding ceremony, this repetition of this is a covenant relationship, you're going to have a family in covenant, we pray for you. We pray for you under the new covenant. And it just reminded me again that this is one of the engine rooms of the fruitfulness, is the covenant. That unless we are somehow locked together in some form of commitment and, um, and faithfulness, then the fruit, that's not the environment for the fruit. As we begin to lock our hearts together, and we'll talk more about this a little bit later, but the fruit will just be so natural. The fruit will come. So the issue of covenant and being committed to people, not programs. You know, we've been numbed into thinking things will happen if we turn up. And, you know, fortunately, and God is wonderful, we do have a history of that happening. We have these outbreaks. You know, we see Toronto, we see Pensacola, we, we know Bethel, that things happen and they're happening all over the world. But there's a subtle thing going on that if we just turn up and it takes this responsibility off us of being locked together as people as opposed to turning up to events. Now, we pray that God will burst forth and things will happen way beyond our imaginations that have got little to do with our efforts. But in behind that, the work or the call that we have is to be committed to each other, to mother and father, to... Um, be connected to the Father, uh, is what is the ongoing context for an outbreak. And so many of the revivals and outbreaks in times gone past have lasted, none of them have lasted more than about five years. Most of them only sort of peter out after a year because the net that is catching them has got holes in it. And the fire that was on it 
gets dissipated because people think if I keep turning up at a meeting, it'll keep going. So anyway, that was a little, um, a little review of, this, of last week. So this week, I wanted to build on that foundation and give some kind of clues as to the framework that gets built on that foundation. Now, I'm a simple kind of guy, and I like to keep it simple. And I was helped understand a framework that 35 years ago that I really think about just about every day. It's a, it's a frame of thinking built on the mother and fathering um, foundation that really shapes just about everything I do. Sometimes I go, oh, you know, I'm nowhere near that frame and I need to return or... But it's a, it's a frame that says, that helps me understand time I spend myself, what my priorities are, what I'm looking for and praying for in people, what I'm hoping for them. And, um, and I feel like it's an important frame if you're moving to be a disciple, a discipler, a mother, a father, you want to grow and care for people. It's important to have some frames to build on. Now, I want you to discover it or help you discover it. And so we printed up some scriptures. We're going to go to, if Jeff, you could hand out. We're going to take a little collaborative effort and I'm going to get you to sort of meditate a little bit on the scripture that I think is so helpful. The book of John is, you know, really an exceptional gospel. I don't know if, if any of you have, have spent much time in it. Some people say it's their favourite book. If they're stuck on a desert island, they'd want the Gospel of John. And as I was reading it again last night, I kind of felt the same. It's entirely personal and relational. The discourses in it are all around people. You've got John the Baptist. It opens with John the Baptist. And, you know, really the last few years of Jesus' life got the wedding of Cain and it's got the, the, the soul-searching discourse of Nicodemus, who's the Old Testament, trying to understand the new paradigm of being born again. You've got the Samaritan at the well. You've got a wonderful set of signs or miracles that really highlight the fact that Jesus is the great I am, so I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life. You've got the Mary and Martha story which is very important, Mother. <laughs> you've, got the, <laughs> you've got the Lazarus, that intensely emotional scene of Lazarus dying and Jesus weeping and then calling him into life. It's the most wonderful, wonderful book. And I want us to look at John chapter 17 because... As the story unfolds, it's really, these, these chapters are really all built to just this period of time before he goes to the cross, before he's arrested. This is very intense. In the history of the world, in the, in the period of his life, this couldn't really get more intense. His whole mission was going to be consummated in his death and his resurrection. He knew it. He was telling the disciples about it. They were horrified by the thought. He spent a lot of time comforting them. He was finishing three years of living with them, eating with them, ministering with them, being a father to them. And so the things on his heart in these last hours before he gets taken, you would think he'd be totally justified for being self-preoccupied. But he is quite the opposite. He washes the disciples' feet. And then they have this meal. And then he prays for them. Now this prayer, to my mind, is kind of like the penultimate moment in the life of Jesus. The things that are in this prayer are so important and pivotal because these are the last things on Jesus' heart. It's kind of summing up, guys. We've been together. We've had a great time. It's about to end and everything's about to change. Everything's about to be totally disrupted. Everything you thought was going to happen is not going to happen. It's going to be far better. But this is what we need to pray. I need to pray this over you. And so this few verses, this is, I've put down three that I want you to have a think about. 
a three out of a chapter that is just so rich and significant and intense. But what I want you to have a look at, if you could, and this is a little just exercise in meditation, a little exercise in sitting in the scriptures. And if you don't do this as a, as a habit or as a matter of course, it's one of these things you probably should learn how to do. And John is a great place to start. But I want you to look at these three verses and I've outlined down below three... Um, no, that's in my notes here. What I want you to look at is on your page, yeah, your page is my page. Is, uh, there are four relationships spoken about in these verses. The obvious one is God with Jesus, which he references all the time. But I want you to have a think about it and circle it, maybe write down what the other three relationships are in there. James. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> what I wanted to do, and partly because James commented on it um, a couple of weeks ago, how refreshing it was to hear the word of God read. And so I've asked James to read the passage before we go and meditate on it. So... Thanks, James. So this is John 17, 20 to 23. Um, and this is in, in this prayer, Jesus prayed for the birth of the church made up of Jewish and non-Jewish believers right before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And I ask not only for those disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their, mes- uh, through their message. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognise that you sent me. For the very glory you have given me, I have given them, so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me. For they will see that you love each, of, each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Great. Thanks, mate. Okay, back to where you were. You might want to circle some of them in the, in the text. You might want to write them. All right. Anybody need more time? Anybody got any clues? <laughs> what was that, Josh? <laughs> okay, so, you know, it's kind of, um, it takes time, I think, to think and sit on these verses and, and try and tease it out and um, let it speak to you. But anybody got any thoughts on some of the relationships in there? Well, how do you identify that as a relationship? Well, if we don't have a relationship with our future generations, then... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that, you know, he's praying um, for these disciples, but also for those who one day... So that's kind of talking about us, right? So, what's that, Andrew? Courage of future disciples. Yeah. So that's who he's praying for. What other relationships he's praying for in there? Viv? Yes. What is that? Yeah, exactly. He's praying for this relationship, this relationship, this horizontal relationship, that the body of believers will enjoy the unity that God experiences with Jesus. What, you know, what an awesome prayer. You've got to remember this is Jesus praying for us. I mean, there couldn't be a man of greater faith. There couldn't be a man of greater authority. There couldn't be a man more pre-qualified. You know, you go and find someone to pray for you when... You need some prayer. Jesus is actually praying this for us, that we would be unified as a body like he is with God. Good pick up, Viv. You're up there with die and good answers. (laughs) Okay, other one. That's one. Adrian. I believe that has come and that is to be restored. Absolutely. Absolutely. This relationship of us with God, the picture of Adam in the garden, broken, restored. Now it's not, you know, it has the potential 
the prayer is that it will be as good as it ever was. And this connection with God, God in us, us with God like Jesus and God, this relationship of us with him is his deep heart for us. He's praying for it. Restore it. Bring it back. Great. So that's two. Warren. Um, us in the world? Yes. Um, so, you know, um, so basically in 22, uh, whilst it's not specifically said, um, you call me, I, I mean then, uh, so I experienced perfect unity in the world. So in order for that to happen, there has to be some sort of relationship. Yeah, and then down at the end of 23, and that the world will be convinced that you've sent me. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus is praying that out of this unity with him, this unity with each other, the world will be convinced. So he has a heart for the world, that's obvious. He has a heart that the world will come to know him. And the engine room is our connection with God and our connection with each other. And... These three relationships have sort of defined my, my sort of approach to God all my life. And some would call it the sort of the three-legged stool, that you can't have one without the other or without the other two. They're very important to have a balance in your life to cover all three. You know, as Jesus is praying that for us, I think we need to think about what that looks like in our lives and how we respond to that and what priority we give to that in our lives. So the question being, these three relationships, as we look at our entire schedule and our entire framework of how we do life, how do these three relationships or commitments fit into our world? This is the most important thing on Jesus' heart. This is the moment before he dies, he actually goes to his knees and prays for this over us. That our relationship with God would be like his with God. That our relationship with each other would be, have the same unity as he has with the Father. And that as a result, we have a heart for the lost world. So as we look at our way we look at life, where do those three priorities sit? How do we express them? So I'm sure some of this is, is um, second nature. And I was just wondering maybe from the floor if we could share how we, how we experience those. Like, how do we grow our relationship so that God is, uh, is we're connected with him? What are the, what are the things in our schedules that, that help that happen? Great. Um, pretty much from the beginning of coming to I-61, I struck a chord with a number of guys, but um, it was kind of, I was invited to be a part of a group that meets once a week and we, we, with the aim that all of us would try to be there, you know, on, a very, on as regular occasion as possible, generally all of them if we can, and I think we do a pretty good job of that most of the time. Um, so just four guys, we meet once a week for an hour in the morning for coffee and it's something that I've never experienced in any church I've been in and it's been such an encouragement in my life just having the, um, the ability to having friends that I can talk openly about, struggles, talk about openly about, um, you know, our faith walk um, and know that I'm, going, that I'm going to have honest, trusted people that are going to have my back they're going to love me regardless of whatever crap I might be going through in that week or that day or that year or whatever. Um, just people having your back, loving each other, regardless of the circumstances, unconditionally. And it's just been so fulfilling and so rewarding for me. So, yeah. Thank you. Did you manage to get that done in an hour? <laughs> no, that's right. That's our biggest... <laughs> So what, what James is talking about there, thank you, James, fantastic, um, you know, is really around this, this, what I would call the second priority. Um, it has to have a piece of it, the first priority, but he was talking particularly about the second priority of us learning how to love each other. 
of how us learning how to be intimate and connected, to have each other's back, to be honest, to be agreeing in covenant, and it's sort of we're only just working our way to that, agreeing the things we want in each other's lives. So I call that the more the second relationship of unity in the body. And we'll come back to that one some more. But would others have ways that they pursue their commitment to God? What does that look like in the week? I mean, this relational commitment, not not just sort of the whole picture, because of course that all fits fits into it. Yeah, Alish. Um, I think for me, it's my commitment or the level of commitment that I have to God I need to show to my children and show to my husband and my family. And for me, at this point in time, even though it sucks, um, my kids are with me 24-7 because we homeschool, because they're not in a place where they can go out into the world and fend off the yuck that's out there. So I have to be the commitment my commitment is to God to be that mother that yeah. they need, even though I muck it up. Yeah, <laughs> terrific, Alice. Yeah, so incredible. So, um, you know, they're seeing your walk with God and expressing their commitment to them. And, uh, you know, I know when I was a youth pastor, parents would say to me, oh, my kids are uncontrollable. What can I do with them? And I said, well, the best thing for you to do is to be a consistent, believing <laughs> but, um Christian and oh yeah I can't do that so <laughs> but <laughs> but again you know I think you're speaking into this mothering fathering body piece which is like when we started homeschooling it wasn't my first choice we were forced into this position yeah. and I know that that was God because I don't move unless I'm forced so I'm so stubborn. Um, <laughs> um, what was I saying? When you first started. So, yeah, when we first started, it was reluctant. Yeah. But the further we got into it, the more I realised how vulnerable my children were yeah. and how important it was that I did right by them. Because if I didn't do right by them, they're not going to do right by others. Yeah. They have to... My children are visual learners. Yeah. So... If I don't visualise for them what being a human being yeah. and being a godly human being is about, they're never yeah. going to get yeah, it. Yeah, that's mothering, physical and spiritual. But do you see this distinction I'm drawing? That's the horizontal. That's the mother-daughter. That's the body of Christ. What about some examples of... Sorry? Yeah, okay. Steph, come and tell us how you do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? Come on, come on, take a mic and tell us. <laughs> so what, what's your thinking about that? What, you know, and what does it look like? And, and what do you do in that context? I don't know much, but I, I walk, and as I walk, I think, and I invite God into my thoughts, and I pray, and I sing, I, I know, like, spiritual songs, church songs, whatever, like, whatever is he's hitting in that point, like... There have been times, like probably years ago, when I, would, I was battling a lot of, I guess, battling a lot of spiritual attack or something, and I'd just be really... I mean, I had to. I had to walk. I, had, I was sick. I was really sick. So I had to get up. I had to walk. I'd be walking all day. And, um, yeah, just being open with God with my thoughts and praying and, and singing in those songs. You, you know which is the right song for what you're battling with because yeah. it, it resonates. So, and, and the more that you, you push in... God always comes through, even if it's like the eleventh hour. He's, he always comes through yeah. at the right moment if you if you're pushing in. So. Okay, so this this direct connection, this time, this meditation, this intimacy with to the audience of one, walking, praying, praising. Great, that's fantastic. How do others do that? Hi, um, actually, this year I've. I've started to um, just undertake a reading the Bible in one year, which I've never ever done in my whole life, and like as a as something that's been an intentional thing. I've read parts of the Bible, but I just 
Um, we were up in the up at my brother and sister, my sister and brother-in-law's house at, in the at the beginning of the year, and we my brother-in-law started to read um, just a yearly Bible um, reading, and it's it's quite a hefty chunk of the Bible, but and I thought oh, I'll give it a go. I've never actually intentionally made the decision to do that, and I have, and I can't tell you the difference that it has made to my life. It has just been completely transforming for me. I've, and it's actually become quite addictive in a way that yeah. where you just actually can't wait. And sometimes I want to read two days yeah. worth of yeah. passages. And I mean, it's like half an hour each, each time. It's three different parts of the Bible, but they all link together. And I think actually just soaking in the Word of God yeah. has just... Yeah, changed my amen. life, really. Amen. You know, Libby, that's one of the things that changed my life. You know, I got to read through the Bible in one year Bible, which is probably what you're using. But and for ten years, cover to cover, yeah, every year. And you know, they're sort of the legalistic, performance-oriented people who sort of want to keep up to every day. And that's not what we're talking about here. It's the listening to God speaking to you through His Word, peace. Yeah, that's right. You Sorry, you can't actually wait for the next day. It's, yeah, you're it's conscious of, of him exciting. talking. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, Diane. Um, a couple of things for me. Um, one of the things was uh, doing my master's degree. I like to study, which is a bit odd. Um, but I love learning new things. And um, so doing part of my master's degree was having um, a subject called spirituality in Christian ministry and we had Dallas Willard come and speak to us and we were in a retreat with him for two weeks um, oh. and one of the things he taught me was was this whole concept of having solitude and silence Yeah. so you have time where you are quiet and you just sit and ask God, I'm here Lord, I'm waiting if you have something to say you mean you don't even have your phone there? No, I don't even have my phone. <laughs> and it's really hard to... to uh, yeah, no technology, Tim. It's, you should try it. <laughs> and just... Yeah, yeah. Or, like, because I live in the Blue Mountains, you might, I might go out to no a No reception there anyway. No reception there anyway, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, I go and sit on a cliff face and yeah. just sit for a length of time. Yeah. And then the, trying not to talk... Um, for a period of time. Yeah. Now I'm an introvert, so that's easy. But for some of you, that <laughs> would be very hard. Um, but that's those. They're called spiritual disciplines, but they're not yeah. things you have to do, but things that you can do that will allow you to become closer to Jesus. Yeah. And the other thing that that's helped me, um, particularly since my husband died, was the whole concept of who am I? What's my identity? And my identity is in Christ. And what does that look like? And so getting God to show me who. Who are yeah. you now? Who am I like now? at forty-nine, I'm no longer no, no longer a wife. Yeah, I'm still a mother, but like, what does that mean? Yeah, you know? and you're so and much more. We know that. Well, yeah, but it's <laughs> taken me a long time to realise that. Yeah, and it's only taken, and it's still going to be continuing because there are things that will continue to come up for me yeah. that will pull me back, and you know, I'm one of those performance-driven people, so yeah. I've got to. You know. That's beautiful, though. You know, yeah. this sitting so. quietly, waiting, and believing God will speak, and He does. Yeah, He yeah. does. It's wonderful. Yeah, and it's shutting down, you know, all the noise, mm. and letting God speak. And one and of the hardest things is shutting down the noise in your head. Head, yeah. And that's a really hard thing to yeah. do to turn that off. Yeah, um, beautiful. Yeah. Anybody else do the sort of silent, the silent stuff, Chipper? Like doing oh, you put your hand up, yeah, yep, right. Just like but one thing I've been um, enjoying the last couple of years is praying the word. So for me, I have to not have to, but I feel like I need to be grounded. And if so, I, the first part of my day, pretty soon after I've had a shower, I I just sit and um, spend time, and I read the word, but I pray the word, and that's something that's brought a lot of life to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and to me, through her. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, worry. Thanks, thanks, Tim.
I need to just put my hand up so I can see Tim run from here. To here. <laughs> uh, I'm joking. Um, so um, I think, I think, I think commitment and vulnerability and commitment is similar to what James was saying before is meeting regularly with. Um, for me, it's a group of guys at the moment. Last couple of years, it was a group of you know, friends um, that we'd get together and we'd. You know, we went through a uh, went through a book, and um, I think in each of those situations to be vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, telling your stuff, um, revealing things, um, I think through that you earn you earn trust in a lot of ways. Um, people get to speak into your life. You incredibly get the honour of speaking to others as well. And I think that there's something about those pockets of groups as they do that, then when we come here, I mean, I, I'm not in the same group as James, but there's, there is that sort of same sort of connection and Andrew and, you know, that, that, that happens and, yeah. um, and even, uh, even in amongst others as well. So I think it's for me that um, over the last few years particularly, um, getting back into that smaller group connection it's not to do a bible study necessarily it's not it's just actually to get to go know each other and do life together yeah and then throughout that week there's a there's a connection point that you can go to um and you know that uh there's others that are actually praying for you not just you know bumping to someone who goes yeah I've, you know I've, I've hurt my wrist can you uh <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah yeah i'll pray for you you know and walk off your own sort of separate ways and that sort of thing. I know that that is happening throughout the week, and that's yeah. that's incredible. So I think that's one of those. Um, I think for us individually, as um, you know, I was going to say members, but you know, people of a community, we are at I sixty one. It's really vital that uh, you do it, you seek it out. I think that's one of the things as well. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things for me that I was fairly reticent. And going back to, mm. um, only because it was, you know, it was um, you know, bad experiences previously. So, um, so it was. It took a little bit of time for that to come back, and yeah. that trust come back. So, it's a blessing. It's a great blessing. I think a really big part of what we do is about demonstrating to others as well. Like as in political demonstrations? <laughs> just, just showing others um, your faith yeah. and giving them the opportunity to learn from your faith. Yeah, absolutely. As much as have their own faith. Yeah, iron sharpening iron. Yeah, Martha. So for me, um, I like talking to strangers. Great. And I love interacting and it's, it's amazing because you might see them once and then you see them again and then a relationship forms yeah. and then they comment like they're inspired to continue their life because they've had connection with you. Yeah. So although you're speaking to strangers, yeah, well, it that does fits. have a long impact. That fits in this world. Priority three. Yeah. And you can't help it. You know, when this life is bubbling, it. It, uh, it becomes a natural consequence. Anyone else on? Katie, beautiful. Which one, Katie? One, two, or three? On relationships. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you may not be talking about any of those, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, Two things, because I, I did YWAM and yeah. we travel a lot and so I feel like I've got, you know, friends and family um, right across the world and so connecting with them is, you know, it's, it's got to be, it's quite a challenge really. And so for me, I like to, um, you know, and, and using social media just to scan and see where people are at and I actually like to try and make, because I'm quite busy, I'll set myself reminders or things in my calendar where I check in with people and particularly if someone's struggling or going through something, um, 
with the Tongans, like we've got an adopted daughter in Tonga, but in, in Tonga, um, if, if you do anything wrong, there's such this vile condemnation and shame that's built into their culture. And uh. so anyone, I'm really deliberate in people that I know are going through something because I know they won't have the support of the church yeah. and the people around them to touch base with them and connect with them. Um, and also another thing I deliberately do is be really vulnerable in my own personal journey, so sharing with people, and that's particularly non-Christians. And it's yeah. just really amazing the doors that it opens and yeah. um, the things that unlocks in other people when you share your story. And it just always seems to be a real um, coincidence that the thing that I share is something that's just been really, really heavy on their heart or something that they've been yeah. struggling with. So just being really deliberately obedient when you... Yeah. here to share and deliberate in contacting and making sure I check in with people yeah, that are you know, in Australia. Okay, well, you know, we've, we've probably each got a story and that's been fantastic to hear that. And um, I guess I just want to summarise this in that we cannot overstate the importance of these three priorities. And... You know, I think it's something worthy to write down and spend a lot of time thinking about and starting to orient a schedule and a timetable around these three elements that Jesus is so concerned for in you and in me. How is my time spent with him? What are the elements of that? What's the frequency of that? What's the intensity of that? What's the fruit of that? What's he been saying? What is he leading me? What are the hunches? What are the glimpses? What are the possibilities? If we're not building that relationship with him, the stool falls over. Then secondly, how are we building our relationships with the body of Christ? He's very concerned that this group is unified, that we're unified. Now, obviously, we can't know everybody and we can't you know, expect um, to be in everyone's pocket. But the ingredient of knowing how to start to love just a couple of other people is so scary. It's so sort of time-consuming. But that's what's on his heart, of starting small and of building the quality so that we can't help the fruit. The fruit will arrive. The fruit will come, as Katie is. Martha was saying, you know, we've got this really fun story in our family where my daughter, um, who's got a heart like Martha's, she just talks to people. She noticed this girl on the train station reading a book and so she went up to her and just made conversation. Well, she was reading her Bible. Oh, she was reading... Oh, they were on a wharf. On a wharf. Yes, yes. Uh, the details. <laughs> Do you want to tell the story, Chris? <laughs> anyway, the, the short version of it is they developed this very close relationship where she actually, a couple of years later, got totally involved with this ministry that was, was she became a believer as a result. But the, the nice twist was that this girl was married to a guy, they were actually Bangladeshi, and... We had this Christmas party at a friend's place where they came and Buzz, my daughter, said to me, oh, Alicia is um, bringing her husband. He hasn't met anybody, blah, 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 and just, Dad, keep your eye out for him. So when he arrived, I sort of sidled over and just started making conversation. Wish Martha was there. She would have been very helpful. <laughs> anyway, almost instantaneously, this conversation just devolved into the meaning of life. We sat on the grass... <laughs> And partly because he had a, a Muslim background, but he had an appetite for the, for the spiritual. It was so intense. And we talked and we talked. There's this Christmas party going on around us. And they, it came time for speeches and celebrations. And I said to Ash, Ash, this has been so significant. We've got to continue this conversation somewhere, somehow. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Maybe after Christmas. And we swapped business cards, right, just there and then. And would you believe it that his office address was 100 metres from mine in Macquarie Park. And we have met for breakfast every morning, every week, every Thursday morning since. That was three years ago. And that whole story is such a fun story. And Ash has become a close brother and a dear friend. And we talk, you know, a few times a week. But this is what happens. This is what happens. 
when our connection with God, our connection with our brothers and sisters becomes an intentional, growing, deeper commitment, fruit will pop. Fruit will pop. It'll happen. When the vine's connected, the fruit will pop. And then we have an environment to bring them in. So I just encourage you today, tonight, and this might be all second nature to you all, and there's, there's great stories, but to consider the intensity of Jesus' prayer. This is the heart. This is the heart of it. Our connection with him, our growing connection with each other, and then managing the fruit that'll pop. How about we pray? Father, how awesome to know you are praying intently for us. Your heart is so deep, you're not controlling us, but you are wooing us and inviting us into the kingdom and all the kingdom's joys and journey. We thank you for each other in this room, to think you've given this group of people to us. What a rich, wonderful community. What a family with all its, its frailty, with all its brokenness. It is a gift to each one of us. And Lord, we thank you. We have a, a, you have a mission for us, for the world. What an exciting place to be. What exciting people to be with. What an exciting future to discover the richness of what you have for us, what you have for us in each other, and, and for what is to come, the fruit. I pray that our worlds, our weeks, our frame of reference would come into sync and into alignment with what's on your heart for us. I pray you'd let us organise our worlds. You, you are praying that this would happen around our time with you and our time with each other. Thank you, you're moving mountains. Thank you that you are praying divine openings and opportunities for this to happen. And we want to surrender our, our time and our schedules and our desires to the answers of your prayer. We thank you, you have such a heart for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.